Hello everyone and welcome back to the third episode in our CI by Industry series. Representing the world of healthcare technology, today we've got Chris Link. Chris is Research and Insights Manager at Interlace Health, a business that pioneered e-form and e-signing technology back in the day and today makes it its mission to develop software that streamlines and makes digital the tricky yet critical job of admin in healthcare. In today's episode, we discuss how Chris uses what he calls data packs to deliver a one-stop resource for anyone looking to bring themselves up to speed on a competitor, why it's critical to test your deliverables at different screen resolutions, particularly for sales, and why manually sifting through a lot of data can be the best thing you can do for your success in CI. Let's welcome Chris Link. Chris, welcome to the show for what is the third episode in the CI by Industry series. You're here to represent uh, B2B healthcare tech. Uh, Yes. So yeah, I've been in healthcare tech for about 10 years uh, for both like the health plans in the US and uh, more recently hospitals like acute care providers uh, primarily, but really covering all of uh, healthcare delivery in the United States and, and a little bit in Canada. Got you, got you. Okay, so 10 years, that's a pretty long time. Would you like to give us a bit of a look into your journey through competitive intelligence, some of your background in that? Because everyone always says, you know, you don't go to school for competitive intelligence, you kind of fall into it. What did that look like for you? Yeah, falling into it's a good way to put it. It, it was an absolute accident. Uh, I did some, uh, I, I went to school for psychology originally. Then I went to get an MBA with a focus on market research because I had the stats background. I thought I would carry it over try and figure out what I could do with a psych degree that wasn't going to four to six more years of school, uh, which I ended up doing anyways, getting an MBA just a couple years. Uh, and just happened to have a couple contract positions and then ended up in healthcare. And it was a classic, you know, you don't always fall into competitive intelligence as a title. It's often like what market intelligence or something like that that's much broader. Uh, and that's what happened. I, I fell into that with a company that was called uh, MD at the time, now Change Healthcare, now Optum, which is part of a big giant United Health Group. Uh, so it just had kind of kept growing and growing. Uh, and, and that's where I really cut my teeth on the entire CI thing. I hadn't even heard of it before I, I joined that market intelligence team and, and went from just being a market researcher to more of an analyst to understand the competitive aspect and how to uh, just hit all the notes that, that were needed for sales teams, product teams, marketing teams, execs, all of that. Awesome. All right. So you're currently at Interlace Health, um, one of the pioneers of e-forms and e-signatures and stuff like that, um, if I recall our previous conversation. Uh, Just before we get into the details of how you do competitive intelligence, can you tell us a bit more about Interlace? Give us a bit more information on what it is you guys do. Yeah, our, our founder, Rob, uh, 30 years ago, I think was, I don't know if he was sitting around or at a hospital for a doctor's appointment and saw everything was happening on paper. Everything was really hyper, hyper manual. Not that it isn't today, but it was just a mess of paper and fax machines and all sorts of just inefficiencies and people couldn't read stuff and decided like, hey, why can't we do this better? Why can't we make things a little bit more digital and move in that direction? And it went from very simple things from printing uh, to what we have today, which is completely replacing anything that is paper with a digital form with these signatures. And anyone who's uh, super into healthcare or especially in the American healthcare system knows that things are ridiculously complex here, unnecessarily complex sometimes. I think the estimates are like 30% of anything of, of the money is in administration uh, and a lot of the, well, administrative waste, I should say. 
Uh, and so what we're doing is trying to tackle that and, and eliminate it. And, you know, there's other people doing it now, but no one's been working with hospitals for 30 years to do what we're doing. Uh, so we have kind of a leg up in understanding the workflows, the challenges, the problems there. Uh, and, and relevant to this conversation is that market has has shifted over the last few years. It used to be a few known people, and, and now it's been changing quite a lot. Uh, it's it's uh, part of my job to make sure we're not thrown for too much of a loop as that environment changes. Awesome. Great stuff. So uh, here's kind of where I just ask a few kind of rapid fire questions to give our listeners a bit of context um, around how competitive intelligence is set up uh, where you are. So uh, the team, how big is uh, the team for you, first of all? Just you or a few people? Yeah. So we are, take what I said before in this context, we are a, a about 65 person company. Uh, so we are a very small company. So it is, I would say it's one and a half. So it's, it's I'm, I'm the lead for all of market intelligence. Uh, but then I do tap resources. Like we have a really great uh, director of product marketing strategy who uh, has shown a lot of interest in, in the work. So she does, when I'm, when I'm over capacity, I can also often tap her uh, to support things. Uh, and then just a great network of, of people who have been very engaged in bringing me information as they're encountering it in sales deals, trade shows that I'm not at, things like that. So yeah, just me for the most part, but people have really been very supportive. Cool. Small and mighty team follows the norm then for, for the most part, I think. It seems to be. Um, <laughs> and uh, which stakeholders are you serving primarily? The obvious ones, yeah, sales all the time, marketing to, to a lesser degree, but they're absolutely an audience. Uh, most of what I do rolls up into uh, our president and into what is here kind of called our, our chief commercial officer. So he might be a, a CMO at another organization, but he oversees sales, marketing, uh, and business development. So I end up working a lot with him as, as we're doing like market exploration and, and different uh, exercises. But yeah, really it's the C-suite is, is the main audience for what I do. Okay, okay, that's good to know. So C-suite leadership, sort of CCO as perhaps a primary stakeholder, product marketing and sales, you said uh, you're a team of one, sort of one and a half, um, and the sector or industry is, is B2B healthcare tech. Okay, cool. So one thing that seems to be unfolding, um, at least for me, as I kind of chat to more people about this is in some industries, anyway, uh, people have said, you know, it maybe doesn't even really make sense to think about competitive intelligence as a process. It's something that's too ad hoc, too reactive um, to kind of think about in terms of these like repeatable aspects. And that kind of got me thinking, and at least what I'd like to ask you to start off with then really um, is, would you say you have a process for competitive intelligence, first of all, um, like in a traditional sense or in a most basic sense, or is it in practice for you so much more fluid than that, that you never really feel you're doing the same thing twice? Mm -hmm. It's really changed over the years that I've been doing this. Uh, and at Interlace, I'd say, you know, Overall, I am a very process-oriented person. And so I build everything I, you know, has, has comes into a process at some point. I think I even said in a meeting uh, this week, there are few business problems that can't at least be partially solved with a half-decent process that you stick to. Not that you want to stay static, but you know, you need something to, to sink your teeth into. So for, for competitive intelligence work and you know, broader market intelligence to that effect as well, I think at least having some type of cadence you're hitting so that there is an expectation in the organization 
that you are doing these things, you are delivering these things. You may not always have a wow moment every month because I try to do a, a monthly uh, sort of intelligence meeting for, for leadership and a few of the directors of the company just to get them up to speed on some things. You don't always have that wow moment, but at least saying, hey, we're gonna, it's gonna be a short meeting this week. We've got just a few things to cover. Here's some stuff I think you should know. And then here's some ongoing programs processes. Uh, you know, the best example is I have what I would what I would consider a fairly rudimentary win-loss program running with our sales team. So it is really just them when they close a deal, win or loss. I have a I would say a, a somewhat extensive survey I built with our VP of sales to so just collect information. Now, I like to be pragmatic. I know that 50% of the information on there is probably wrong. I live with that. I may I, I put that caveat out there, but at least it gives us something to chase down and something that it's reliable. Sales sees they get they have an input, it goes into call it my black box, and then there's an output, and they can at least see that that we're talking about things, we're thinking about things, uh, and, and there's something going on. So it's not just uh, what I used to run into. And I think this is common, maybe for any CI person joining organization that may have not had a intelligence function nobody really knows what you do and sometimes that can go on for a long time and so it's very important for me within give myself a lot of time within a year to say okay people actually when they see me at a team meeting it's like oh it's chris here's what he actually does we understand that now uh and and so that's with that having some kind of process where there's like a definite input output uh even if it's not always the best thing at least it's something that's advancing the conversation so not publishing garbage. I never want to put up saying it's not worth their time, at least a little bit. Yeah, yeah, sure. Um, cool. Well, that's good to know for me. It makes my job a little bit easier. Um, as the listeners might know by now, um, you know, this sort of CLI by industry series really is about making these conversations as comparable as possible by kind of walking step by step through those processes where it's possible. Um, if they exist with that being, um, you know, a, a kind of pretty big caveat. So um, so yeah, interesting points about, you know, setting, uh, expectations with everybody by sticking to a particular frequency for things that you're pushing out there, monthly Intel meetings, the leadership, win loss programs. We'll dig into all of that. I think in a bit of detail, um, in a little bit, but let's get into the details of that process then. So, uh, if you don't mind, we'll kind of start with stakeholders first. So you said you're obviously serving sales always, um, marketing sometimes, uh, your president and uh, sort of CCO leadership sort of um, stakeholder set uh, as well. Um, so what do they tend to expect from you? I guess a reasonably broad question. What do they tend to expect from you in terms of deliverables? Uh, yeah. So for, let's say for the, um, at the C-suite level. So we're, you know, again, not a huge company. So we're really talking about here, the president, the chief commercial officer and our chief product officer. Uh, those are going to be that, that audience of three. And it really is a little bit different, but quite a lot of crossover for each of those. These are people with a lot of different demands, a lot of different responsibilities. So having things that are very much to the point, there's lots of detail in footnotes. I mean, I've, I've, I've kind of switched to here's a super light version. If you want the detail, it exists and I, and, and it's at your fingertips. Uh, but you, they need, like, what is my takeaway? What can I actually do about it? I mean, that's what it is for that group. If I'm not going to be bringing something that they can take and do something with, 
there was really no point me bringing you to. They would have rather me focused on doing something else. Uh, and usually for them, that's going to be, hey, is there a, you know, is is a competitor going to be going up, you know, for sale, which is happening a lot in healthcare, uh, in the in the B2B tech space. A lot of merger, a lot of acquisitions, especially coming out of the pandemic, where nobody was buying hospitals, had no money to purchase. Now all of the the VC backed guys are, you know, a lot of those are struggling. A lot of the even traditional players who are smaller are trying to find partners to to work with. So uh, a lot there to just say, okay, what can we do with this? A little bit different on the product side, because that's where I'm working more to uh, in the traditional kind of market research space to help them do the product roadmap and things along those lines. So maybe, hey, this competitor is adding an enhancement or here's a feature that uh, uh, electronic health record company is implementing and they've been starting to talk a lot about. So for them, for, for product, it's a little bit more, hey, FYI, this is happening so that you're aware of how it may impact our roadmap or, or if we're going to suddenly find ourselves behind on functionality. And how about sales, lastly? Sales, yeah. So the win-loss, as I mentioned before, uh, I've, I've really, over the last couple of years, been doing a lot more data visualization. So Power BI, because we you know, we, like so many other companies, we have the whole Office 365 suite. I think they changed the name recently. Uh, but using that, and so having Power BI on, on tap, being able to put together a dashboard, stick it right in a Microsoft Teams where everyone's living every day anyways, uh, and, and serving it up to them so they can actually go in, cut by their territory, see, you know, if, if there's a hospital or health system that may be using a competitor, they can go into the dashboard, cut it down to their territory, see the competitors, see what health record system the hospital has been using and go into a meeting a little bit more educated at least. You know, we may not have the deep intelligence uh, all the time because there's, you know, 8,000 something hospitals. It's it's not always, it's not really possible, uh, but at least they go in educated and that's always my goal. And then uh, it, battle cards, absolutely. I think it's hard to find a CI function that's not producing battle cards to some degree. Uh, for us, it is very much me working direct, directly with the VP of sales to say, okay, what's actually going to be in here that your team can use? Like, how do they communicate or absorb information? Because, I mean, that's what a lot of this is, is how, how does each individual stakeholder absorb and learn? And then trying to figure out how I can get kind of the right average output that they'll all be able to kind of take in their own way. Because if someone's going to read... I still have to produce something that someone else is going to read. So how do I get this other person to absorb it as well? That's maybe the biggest uh, challenge with, with getting things to stakeholders is so many personalities, even at a small company. Yeah, yeah, that's an interesting one. Like, you know, even if you produce the perfect battle card for, you know, John over here, maybe Claire doesn't work very well with it and needs like a, a completely different format. Oh yeah, John wants to. Uh, he, John, for example, would only he's only going to open on the phone. So if I can't produce anything that's readable on his phone, I know he's never going to read anything that I put out there. So how do I even think about how it's going to display on a mobile device? So that's like that's something I never thought about a few years ago: is testing readability at different resolutions. Yeah, that's actually something that's never come up on the show before either. But that's a super interesting point. Like you know, if um you'd have the best battle card in the world, but if they can't read it on the device they're using, you know, it's, yeah. it's even if they do pull it up, it's not going to be um, of any use. Yeah, when, when you spend your time working at a company that specializes in forms, you start, start thinking about readability of, of thing on a paper on screens. Right, and how do these, you know, so so we've got these different sets of, of deliverables, we've got, you know, battle cards, 
um, Power BI dashboards for sales. You know, you've got the more individualized expectations of the the sort of president, CCO. So you've got all of these different kind of expectations. Um, are these kind of sort of passive expectations that you have to meet? Are you pushing information either directly at them at a particular frequency, like you mentioned earlier, or perhaps somewhere centralized, like a battle card where they can pull it when they need it? Um, or is there also an element of every day that you've got requests landing kind of on your desk and you're prioritizing and dealing with those one by one as they come in as well? So really with a lot of what comes in is I have, a, I just have range to do what I kind of need to do. So there are expectations here. We have like, Hey, here are your, here are the goals we're hitting. Cause I, I report up to the chief uh, commercial officer. I always, it always throws me off. I'm not CCO is something I'm not always used to. Uh, so there's, there's expectations setting, like here are, here's what we're trying to achieve this year and, and you know, how, where are we going to need support? Where are we struggling and, and prioritizing from there? Uh, we actually, and this is very different than every other job I've had in CI in healthcare, is that they really don't want to be throwing things on my desk randomly, like just pitching stuff at, at me. Uh, they want me focused on you know, supporting more strategic initiatives within the company. So if they're throwing a lot of little things at me all the time, asking random questions, which absolutely happens, but we definitely try to constrain that where I'm used to it being quite the opposite. Uh, so that's been a bit of an inversion from what I'm accustomed to. Okay. Um, so, right. We'll bear those deliverables and those sets of stakeholders in mind and move on to data. So first off for uh, I guess to avoid making it too broad of a question, just generally, what kinds of data or intel uh, are important to you in you know B two B healthcare tech? With the groups that I'm that, that we kind of run up against, so we're looking at e signature and digital forms and the EHRs. Uh, most of these companies have a fairly limited public presence, which is always tricky. Uh, you have some information on most of it, you know, there's a lot of either they're very private and they've been private companies for a long time, regardless of their, their kind of wealth, um, or their VC back. So they're pretty young and, and they're just, you know, there's, there's a lot of private deals going on. So data on, on competitors is always the absolute trickiest thing. I mean, it, it frustrates me so much because our primary competitor, the one who's been around, we've been around for 30 years, they've been around for 25, 20 I don't know, they, they have a history of seeing what we do and then they start doing it. They have such little information out there. They don't do press releases. They do, they'll do marketing videos, they'll do blogs, but they just have no sophisticated kind of modern media presence, which is kind of abnormal. But that is weirdly typical in this space. So now that we have companies like DocuSign, Formstack, whatever coming in, it's actually a bit of a relief to me because these people have like, people talk about these companies. They have public record. Uh, so being able to kind of dip back into that public information, you know, the the 10Ks and all that good stuff, uh, the tax information and the, and the SEC filings is relief. Uh, and beyond that, the the there are a few good data sources that, that may kind of make everything for me. So um, like between uh, there's the American Hospital Association, which does good data products. And then there's Definitive Healthcare, which is like the data provider for healthcare information in the United States. Um, definitive, if definitive doesn't have it, then it either typically doesn't exist or is just too inefficient to get your hands on. So when you need information about, hey, what companies, what tech, uh, what's the tech stack look like at a given health system? 
the thing is going to have some idea because they've gone out, they've actually done that, that information gathering, the interviews, the conversations, collected a lot of that. So there's a lot of that baseline can come from them. Uh, and then I, I rely a lot on, on uh, CMS. So that's the Center for Medicare, Medicaid Services, um, the, you know, the, government, the government healthcare programs in the United States. They publish a ton of information. So you end up having to do a lot of math to like, okay, if they're doing this rate for Medicare, what's it going to look like on the commercial side? Uh, so there's a lot of pulling a whole bunch of different databases, having them all talk to each other, and then trying to pull those bits and pieces of knowledge you can from news sites. And um, the big thing that I've been working on with, with marketing lately has been using a lot more uh, SEO data, back-end SEO data, to say, hey, okay, well, you know, let's look at the purchasing. Let's look at their purchasing habits for, for um, you know, paid search and different things to see where these companies who don't have a public presence are actually spending money in the back end to get an idea of where they may be going. So that's actually been um, a really great thing that we've been integrating this year is, is some SEO discipline, not just for our company from a marketing angle, but also where can we apply it to just being smarter and, and knowing, oh, hey, you know, DocuSign is here, but like their web traffic for healthcare is so low, we actually shouldn't be that worried about it right now. Like monitor for change, but they're getting, you know, I don't, I don't know if I'm ahead, so I'm making this up, but if they're getting like 12 hits a month off of like these super hot keywords for our space. Maybe when we see them at a trade show, we're just like, ah, yeah, DocuSign's over there. They really can't help you. Uh, it gives us some confidence. Uh, so a little bit of a scattershot answer, but it's, it is, that's kind of what it is for me a lot of times. It's just how many, I, you know, just gathering things left and right and then trying to make sense, build up a narrative that is, true to the information. Yeah, yeah, sure. Um, and you mentioned, you know, like in between those, I guess those are larger scale publications of, of kind of like vetted data that you can really rely upon, like the databases and the government sources and, and stuff like that. Um, you know, you're, you're kind of pulling bits and pieces where you can, I imagine to kind of fill in the gaps. What does that process look like for you? Is that more or less automated um, or is it, um, is there quite a lot of manual time that goes into that? Uh, I try to do a bit of both for, for different reasons. So for the, the kind of competitive intelligence side of my job, um, I automate it as much as possible. Being able just having the keywords set up, having the key companies set up, pulling the information and trying to hit on a new competitor. As I, as I mentioned uh, earlier, we are seeing new companies sort of trickle into our space and, and look to gain some market share. And that's that was not happening five years ago. It wasn't even really happening three years ago. It's sort of a pandemic era thing that, that we're seeing in, in our space. Uh, so I do need that automated process. There's too much to comb through. Um, you know, I've actually, I, having been so reliant on kind of that news curation for years that you get from a lot of different CI platforms, uh, I've started seeing as I transition to focusing more on that SEO side this year, I've actually felt a little bit more confident because I'm going more to the source and it tells me exactly what, it tells me more what they're doing and they're focusing on. Now, if they have really bad SEO strategy and it's not telling me anything, well, I'm still learning something because I know they're really crappy at optimizing their website and, and their presence, which is beneficial to us. So there's still, there's still learning to be had. Uh, I do ultimately end up reading a lot manually just because I'm also responsible for understanding what things mean. So if there's a new trend that's really getting a lot of, of steam in healthcare, 
I need to understand it. I need to be able to explain it to stakeholders across the company so that if a customer comes to us or a prospect comes to us and says, hey, we're thinking about launching uh, like a hospital at home program in the next eight months. Can you guys help us with that? If they don't know if they've heard of hospital at home or they don't know details about it, we may lose out on a sale or we may kind of lose out on uh, an advocate, you know, word of mouth marketing, which is which is pretty huge, even in in something as the size of of the U.S. healthcare system. It's it's still fairly small in terms of people, uh, and in kind of the community, there's a lot of of uh, connection there. So, uh, I do have to have that understanding still. So I can't automate all of it due to kind of the other section of my job, but I, I do what I can. Well, yeah, I mean, it makes sense, right? Like, um, like as you say, like there's there's so much coming in, like. You know, we know from hearing feedback from the community that, you know, newer competitive intelligence practitioners, they do struggle with a bit of overwhelm in terms of like, how on earth do I stay on top of all of this stuff coming in? Um, and, you know, if you can at least automate the kind of the, the net that catches it, I guess, um, mm -hmm. to some degree, then even if you have to pass through a lot of it yourself, eventually you do reach a point where you get very good at kind of recognizing what's relevant and what's not you can quickly sort of comb through it and for, okay mm -hmm. like here's where here's where my attention needs to go and one more question on that then um customer research how much does that kind of form i guess aside from the win loss analysis that that you said that you do perhaps for like informing product um you know the product roadmap for for the product team um does customer research come into it uh, much um, or at all? And if so, is win-loss the only way you get that customer research or are there other kind of surveys and interviews going on? I think it's interesting because you and I did not talk about this particular question beforehand. And it just so happens that uh, the last couple of weeks, we've been working very hard on revamping our entire product roadmap process to tighten it up for, for some of those reasons, because we don't want to be spending time on things that don't have value to the market or are going to be really difficult for us to do. So having that connection to the customer and getting the regular feedback from them is is because, is something we've, we've been trying to do. I mean, I was partially brought on board to help us do better kind of qualitative research with our customer base and do it more consistently and add a little bit more rigor to it. Uh, you know, I can't do it all on my own. So it ends up like, okay, let me coach our client services team on, on how they can ask better questions and, and different things along that line to, to get the information we need. So yeah, that is absolutely part of, of what I do. Uh, we still, in my opinion, don't do it enough, but it's more capacity and uh, not just our capacity, but our uh, customers capacity. I mean, we are talking to IT and clinical staff at hospitals. These people have gone come out of a few tough years and you know, margins are just beginning to turn around for uh, hospitals in the United States. They've been operating at negative margins for two, three years now. Um, and we're just really seeing the improvements and, and they're starting to be able to breathe a little bit. But at the same time, there's massive staffing shortages that they're experiencing. So that is maybe the biggest challenge right now is finding a way to say, hey, it's going to be worthwhile to talk to us because if they're talking to us, it means they're not either delivering care to a patient or they're not optimizing a system to deliver care to a patient. And we don't want to be a barrier between them and, and care delivery. That's the last thing we, we want to be doing quite the opposite. We want to be making that easier. Uh, so yeah, we, we absolutely aim to do a lot of that information gathering doesn't happen as much as we like for a number of reasons, a number of very good reasons. Uh, hopefully 
as as we have better technologies coming through, I mean, AI may may help relieve some of the pressure on time. We hope our solution is, you know, relieve some of the pressure in their time. You, we can get back to having more regular conversations because that really is where we're going to learn about the next big thing for us and honestly get a lot of good competitor information because a lot of our customers really love us or they changed from a competitor to us and, and like us better. Uh, and, and so just having that relationship with them often gives me some of the best sort of hands-on kind of human intelligence that I'm just never going to get anywhere else. I, even our sales team struggles to get their relationships. Yeah, I think what's really interesting about your answer there is you're clearly very aware of the kind of like slower kind of almost macroeconomic trends going on in your industry in terms of like hospitals have been operating on negative margins for the last few years, those are starting to turn around that has like these implications for the work that we're doing. Um, is that something that you kind of pick up almost by osmosis kind of passively just as a result of doing the work day to day and seeing those things play out? Um, or is there some active intent behind I've got to figure this stuff out? How do I do it? Because I imagine for people who are new, that's something that they certainly don't have yet and would probably quite like to have if they could. Is it something that is just, hey, you've got to just wait and you'll pick it up with time, don't worry about it too much? Or is it the opposite? Like, here are some things that you can do to pick up that understanding more, more quickly. You're going to get some of it passively without a doubt. If you're just doing kind of the regular keeping the pulse on the industry you're covering, you're going to pick up some of that. But the problem is, is it's typically incredibly dense. I mean, this year I spent a lot of time, I always read regulations and, and things happening and policy changes in the U.S. I've been doing a lot of reading on, uh, on digital healthcare initiatives in the NHS and the U.K. this year uh, and been learning that, hey, it's no less complex across the Atlantic. Uh, so no relief there. But I do think you have to seek it out on your your own to some degree. You need some interest in that that economic in the economics of it, in the policy of things. Because uh, you the more you understand the roots of why things are happening in a certain way, the more context you then have to take any competitive or market information you're gathering that's more direct to to your everyday, putting that in constant saying, here's why this is happening. So if you're giving a, a battle card to a, a salesperson and you know one of our and they're wondering why a competitor is launching a certain product that automates something you know something that feels obscure uh, I'm, I'm avoiding giving a very specific example so that's why i'm, I'm kind of thinking through because i don't want to i'm trying not to give something away uh you can you can say well it's because of the following reasons i we have this understanding uh there is the i think there there there's some equivalency um but it's a little bit more daunting in the U.S. in that not only do you have health and human services and CMS who are putting out policy and, and things and, and really having a huge impact on the economics of healthcare through reimbursement changes for Medicare and Medicaid, uh, you have 50 different discrete entities that have their own regulations in the states that are doing things each a little bit differently. Plus, you have um, Indian Health Services, the IHS, which has a whole different grouping of, of things to serve the Native American population in the U.S. Um, and of course, you know, I think what the, all the different branches of the NHS all have their own kind of, they, there's some overarching things, so it's like here, but they all have their own processes as well. I know Scotland is different than Wales, which is different. I, I told them, I, I told my, my folks like, hey, don't even worry about Northern Ireland. I'm sure they're great, but like they have their 
everything's a little bit different than everything else over Northern Ireland. So just, you know, we'll figure that out later. Um, so yeah, it, it is trying to absorb all that in a short amount of time. I think you have to have some interest in it and you have to want to build that up. Because uh, reading through proposed rules, it, it'll put you to sleep unless you start thinking about how it connects to the economics of things and, and the greater picture and, and how it's going to affect your customers. Because that's, even if you're, a lot of times I think in, in competitive intelligence, we are always like, our customer is XYZ, it's usually, it's the sales team or whatever, but our customer is still the company's customer ultimately. Like whatever we're doing is to help the company to help the customer at the end of the day. Uh, so remembering and, and contextualizing things in that way, I, I feel like sometimes is, is forgotten. Um, last soapbox moment, uh, one thing is I don't always feel like CI professionals get to spend enough time seeing how customers are using the products it, when you're in B2B. I mean, it's very, I think it's very, very different in, in the B2C space, but like going onto a customer site with implementation team and seeing those things happen uh, can help you learn how to ask better better questions or phrase them in a way that makes more sense to an audience because you've you've been on site with them. Uh, so that's, that's where I'll wrap it up because that's that, that could be just the whole rant of mine about getting hands-on with things. Yeah, no, I think I think that's a good answer about, you know, like, yes, you will pick up some of the uh, some of that broader market intelligence by osmosis, but you do have to dig into it a little bit yourself. Like it reminds me of, um, you know, in sports or anywhere in business, if, you, if you're going to get a competitive advantage, you know, even as an individual in a team competing against another, uh, you know, symmetrical team in another company or equivalent team in another company, often it comes down to being willing to do what they're not willing to do, right? And if that's dig into some kind of dry material about sort of um you know statistics and information on like the the market and the economics of things and you're willing to do that and you can force yourself to think about the implications for what you're doing and how that will give you an advantage um and they don't do it then you know that's just one more way that that you're elevating yourselves above them i suppose what you said kind of you talk about some of the uh you're talking about dry material when you mentioned diving into like kind of deeper statistics a question that I've, I've gotten asked a few times over the years, and I've heard asked other CI professionals, is like, what are, and I think you even kind of referenced it a little bit in the beginning, like, what are the right, how do you get into competitive intelligence? I mean, there's a few programs now, and at least I know there are in the US that, that specifically focus on it, but what do I study in school to actually move into a space like this? And it is that not just being able to get into those kind of scientific papers, but knowing how to actually read and evaluate them. People who have, that background it doesn't have to be hard science it doesn't have to be probably even is better if it's not biology chemistry but like my background in psychology in school i mean i can't i'm not a psychologist anymore you know professionally i can't call myself that but i did i, I do have an understanding for how to read a scientific paper how to evaluate if it's if it's worth reading how to evaluate the outputs and, and the discussion finding people coming out of a grad program, undergrad program, whatever, if you're looking to grow a CI program with the ability to have that kind of, not just be able to look at media critically, which is one thing that's really important, but be able to look at scientific research from usually, you know, soft sciences, hard sciences, whatever, and have a decent grasp and be able to translate that and think that something that matters is super, super important. Uh, and I think absolutely the, the, the critical, a critical skill set that I would, if I were putting a job, descript job description together to hire someone, I would be building that into it. 
Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's definitely an interesting one. Um, right. Okay. I want to just orient quickly, um, mm-hmm. just so, uh, just just for the sake of the listeners. So, um, just to recap quickly, we've got, um, you know, a reasonably broad set of stakeholders in, you know, the the trio of chief uh, commercial officer, chief. Um, the chief product officer. I've chief product officer. Yeah, we we don't do we don't do normal C titles here. We just like to mix them up. Yeah. <laughs> cool. Um, and and the president as well. Then there's sales. There's there's product. There's there's marketing also. Um, you know, in terms of data sources, you mentioned you know there are some pretty official databases and reports, I suppose, on uh, you, you know your industry that, that you rely on quite heavily, and then you fill in the gaps with with some other stuff, you're, you're, you're going to dive into some more customer research, you know, as you continue building things out. Um, let's go back to that process, just purely uh, from like a practical standpoint. So as you've got all this data coming in, you mentioned, you know, it's, it's, it's automated wherever it can be, and there's some manual kind of passing through as well. Um, first of all, I guess, where does the data kind of arrive? Um, in all its kind of disparate forms, and is there some way you kind of put it to centralize it or keep it organized? I suppose I'm not. It's not as organized as I would like it to be, to be honest. Uh, maybe it never will be. So typically, I am working towards like I have quarterly or or quarterly or whatever two quarters would be called half a year. Um, I don't know. I honestly don't know what you'd call that. Um, but you know, I have I have like eight discrete projects and targets for those things. So normally, when I'm when I'm gathering that data, I'm doing it for those those things. So I want to pull the freshest data and get my hands on. So when I'm looking at um, starting with things, I'm usually getting fresh whatever absolute the freshest data I can get from Definitive is because they are regularly up have the regular update cadence. So what I pulled six months ago is going to be different than what I would pull today. Uh, so I want to make sure I have the most recent data really easy to do. I mean, they have a report builder. I have it all, I have all my things preset. So I just do click, 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 and I can download a fresh database. Usually it's just like a CSV file. Um, and then I actually, I, I'll, I'll do the same thing from our own Salesforce database. So we've got a lot of, you know, so I have our customer information, things we've gathered. So there's, you know, notes, all those sort of things. Um, and I often first thing I do is, is go into Power BI and I marry those two databases and compare them so that I can just get a just get kind of foundational information. Um, and then from there, it is uh, depends on exactly what I'm researching, what I may need to just kind of pull in it from there. Because everything's, I've got all these provider identifiers and all sorts of numbers that I can use across all these different databases, which is really fortunate that everyone is using some, some common codes. Uh, so I can have all those relate to each other, start pulling out, you know, very current insights based on a particular market question I may be getting or a particular goal we have. Uh, I think that the trickiest part and the part that's that's the messiest is anything that is not already being being pulled in a spreadsheet that I'm having to actually put together myself in, in the format that it takes. So those are the things that I'm, I'm getting from like a CI platform or uh, pulling myself and, and trying to structure and organize, or if it is a uh, like a survey or other thing that I've done, or if I've worked with a CI consultant who's kind of done some some deeper dive stuff with competitors that I can't do. I mean, that, but that's all the qualitative stuff that I'm trying to lay over top of it. Um, so it maybe doesn't have to be as 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 managed. I, I dream of of becoming kind of a, a master at, at SQL or Python or R. Uh, some point I'll have time to do that. That might make my life easier. But right now it is just like, okay, let's get the freshest data. Let's point things in the right directions in, in my data viz tools so that I can 
build in a dashboard, tell a story, and then add in that qualitative data over top to sort of make the make the case for what I need to be making a case for or against. You mentioned in the beginning um, some of that win-loss data that comes in. You just kind of assume, okay, there's a portion, maybe a large portion of this that might not be accurate. We're just going to go with that because you know it gets us closer to kind of the end goal, if you like. Um, is there anything that you do with maybe other kinds of qualities of data that are coming in um, to kind of verify more or less the, the, that it's accurate, um, or do you kind of take that same approach with with the rest of the qualities of data that's coming in? Well, in terms of the, the win-loss surveys, I mean, the, the qualitative stuff there is, is coming direct from the salesperson. And they're, they're salespeople, so they have no problem being frank with me. I'm surprised there's not more curse words in their, their responses than, than there actually are. Uh, so if I do have, as I read those comments, if I do have follow-ups, I, I will, you know, go over Teams, give a call, whatever, and, and get some more context from them. Because sometimes it is less certainty, sometimes like, oh, no, actually, uh, you know, such and such role actually told me this directly and they just didn't put it in there. So there's usually a little bit more uh, to dig into that they just didn't think to write down in a in a survey field. Because I do this, the, the win-loss survey is all automated through, um, I use a platform called Question Pro and it ties into our Salesforce instance. So when they close things, it's all automated, to just delivered to their inbox. They can just click it, do it real quick, submit it, and I have easy access to it. Um, but other than that, it, it's pretty standard market research practices. You know, you go into the coding process of, oh, here are the themes that are in this particular open-ended response, um, you know, labeling those myself. I've started getting to play around um, a little bit because I can't, I don't want to put any of this online and it's kind of high risk, but using some of the AI tools to do that text analysis for me, which is such a massive, talk about time saver, not having to sit there and do manual coding of, a hundred whatever different open-ended responses and just having someone go, a machine go through and say, yep, here's the big themes, here they are, serve them up to me. And then I, it saves me so much time. And it's sometimes better than what I would do on my own just because it's it's averaging everything together. Uh, so that's actually been a really great thing. And I, I actually really am excited for um, what type of like real kind of AI applications we could have in, in CI. I mean, we do have quite a lot. I feel like in a lot of times CI tech can be ahead of the curve for other people because we're just, at, at least the way it used to be is a lot of the stuff that was happening with like a CIA or something will come slowly trickling over once a statute limitations is up or whatever. And like, oh, hey, this text analysis stuff is pretty cool. It's like, yeah, we use that to overthrow the, the old Ukrainian government. I'm like, oh, okay. Um, well, that was, that's, that's actually, um, the first CI conference I ever went to, one of the presenters was involved in one of the, um, the one of the like the popular Ukrainian like government uprisings that happened years and years like back in, I sometimes like to think the two thousands or, or something. I can't remember the detail, but he was like, yeah, I was I was I held I was working with the opposition leader, and here's the tools we used to actually analyze the government's like, you know, what the government was doing and what the social uh, buzz was around, and we actually manipulated social media to help like destabilize the government. I'm like, oh, and we can just buy this now? Uh, that's that's cool. Um, I feel like it doesn't happen as much anymore. There's more tools built you know, specifically for like commercial competitive intelligence, but I do know some of that stuff probably still trickles over. Um, I got a little bit lost in that story because it was so, it's so surreal to think back on it. Uh, <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> oh, man. Um, yeah, I mean, sometimes like, stories like that make me think that you know, our communities 
uh, acronym competitive intelligence alliance is is just not uh it's not a mistake at all <laughs> oh no i i thought it was, i assumed it was intentional i was like that's fun i'm glad someone did that <laughs> i was i was really like they're, they're killing it over there oh good um right so let's transition then a little bit into um so you've sort of got all the data you need what comes next what's the process if you like for sort of going from uh raw information to something you can then go and deliver to you know leadership or sales or or marketing what is, what's the analysis process i suppose if there is one mm. I, I have a really kind of weird whirlwind approach i just like to gather it's almost like if it were paper or if you picture any of the crime dramas where they have all the stupid red string going everywhere those mind map things uh that's that's kind of a bit like how i take everything so even the even the data thing like i'll just have a question i'll go back and i'll query my database or i'll i'll try to do different comparisons um but it really is like okay let's let's start taking all the different pieces let's see where the connections are you know are there are there trends that are related here um you know go peek at the SEO data, see if that's changed from where it was, you know, see if their website traffic has changed. I love the website change and tracker capabilities that some, uh, you know, platforms are, are putting out. Um, ultimately, I, I know that whoever I deliver this to is, is they're going to struggle to read, not because it's dense or complex, but just because they're busy and their mind are distracted and sitting down and reading a report is the last thing they're going to do. So uh, trying to, figure out what the the key things they're actually able to use. And I mentioned earlier, like delivering something, if I can't, if it doesn't, if it's something they can pick up and do something with and take an action, it's not really useful for them. I can go, oh yeah, that's fun. And my job is to give them things that are fun. It's to give them things they can work with. So how much can I take all of this kind of whirlwind I've gathered and, uh, you know, cook it down so that it is just kind of the richest content that they can actually do something with? Uh, and I try to have it be as visual based as possible. Um, you know, the discipline is that I picked up at a, at a prior job and I've sort of copied the methodologies is these things that um, they call my old company and, and I call data packs, which are, it's basically, you know, a booklet that's like, if you want to, if you need answers, if you go through this, you're going to find the answers you need and have it be indexed, have it almost be like a little, little textbook, but everything is, set to there you're going to learn really one or two things per page so if you just need one topic you need to learn about xyz you go to that section you're going to see the two things you need to know to make a decision or to help you you know contextualize your decision and then you can move forward you don't have to sit there and read a whole report you don't need to sit there and, and decipher everything if you need more context if you need more detail you give me a call you send me a message on teams we'll talk through your questions we'll figure out what your gaps are and we'll go through those so I, I kind of have to, had to learn the good enough approach to a lot of things that I would put out because you want to be valued, but you, you, if you try and get it exact or you try to get close to perfect, you're either not going to get out the door or you're going to, I feel like you lose some of the thread you lose some of the urgency, but if it's good enough, sometimes the mistakes or the gaps that are left in there by being good enough, and this is maybe counterintuitive in some cases, or even a little anathema, they, it actually forces them to engage with you to some degree. Because, hey, I don't understand this, or I really, like, what I need to know is this. And so they come and they, we have a conversation. And that helps me understand more of what they need. It helps them, you know, be able to talk through things, because I think talking is a great form of learning in a lot of cases. Uh, and putting out deliverables isn't talking. 
So it, it gives you kind of a back and forth that is so critical to a lot of compelling intelligence practices, especially when you're all remote. I mean, that's something I didn't talk about, but we are a 100% remote company, which I think makes competitive intelligence work much more difficult because it's so relationship-based that it's it's hard to, to manage those relationships and forge those when you're all, like not everyone's gonna turn their video as much as you want them to. And even then you're still looking across the camera and, and you do lose something. Uh, so I, I, I do try and want, I try and make, force kind of some of those engagement moments, not by like leaving in errors, but by not striving to like, okay, we can't get to perfect. So let's get it enough where we can keep moving and we can iterate and we can keep trying to find the right answers kind of as a, as a, as a group. Yeah, yeah, sure. I think that's great advice. And that's something that comes up um, quite a lot when I'm speaking to people about like starting competitive programs from, from scratch or for new people, it's like, just get to this kind of like a minimum viable deliverable get it over to them. And then, yeah. you know, you can iterate on it and work from it from there. You know, if it's a battle card, um, the salesperson is going to tell you pretty darn quickly if it doesn't work or if it's not right, or if they can't read it, or if there's too much information, because it's going to be frustrating for them to use. Right. And uh, I've, I have handed something to someone before. Um, I don't remember. I think it was at a different job. And they're like, I don't think this is quite right. And I'm like, okay, let's talk about it. And then it's fixed. And guess what? You're one salesperson. We fixed together. Now we're giving that piece of information, that piece of intelligence to a dozen other salespeople. And all of a sudden we're now better equipped as a company to compete in our market. So maybe that's the other thing. This this kind of is a is a summation of what you were saying. You really you don't want to be afraid of being wrong. Like you're not gonna be, you don't want to be wrong all the time, but your job in in any type of intelligence role is to pull out information and make sure the whole company has access to it. And the one piece of advice that I, I got is you don't always need to be the person delivering the insights or delivering the big wow moments. You just need to make sure that the whole company is getting access to those so that everyone is benefiting from it because that, that's going to elevate everything. So if someone else is bringing forward really great information, really great things, they're getting the stuff before you, that person should be your best friend. You should be talking to them all the time. You should be integrating them into your process to make sure you're getting all that great stuff because they have some good relationships. Don't be afraid of that. That's actually um, part of your job is to find those people and, and cultivate them. You know, it is going back to the old days of, of, you know, CI 10 years ago, 15 years ago came from the actual intelligence community, like the, the government intelligence community. And that was part of the thing is cultivating relationships to get information. We still have to do that, even though what we're doing is quite different in many aspects. Yeah, I think it's interesting. And I wonder how many people go into competitive intelligence, understanding from the outset, how, you know, relationship based the role really is, you know, it's something that at least on the face of it, I think sounds very much like you've got your head down in a spreadsheet, or you know, you're working with data all day, but so much of it is about, you know, delivering that data to people and making sure it's in a form that yeah. um, works for them. And at the end of the day, I suppose it's a supporting and enabling role, um, you know, just as much or maybe even more than it is, you know, uh, about the data itself. Yeah, there's a lot of facilitation. <laughs> One other thing that um, really stuck out to me in your answer was um, those data packs that you mentioned. Um, one quick question on those. Is that something that you I imagine those are somewhat time consuming to put together. Is that something you sort of wait until you're getting so many kind of ad hoc requests for, can we have more information on this, please? They're like, okay, it's definitely going to be a time saver for me to kind of, you know, put all of those thoughts in one place so that people can kind of pull it and self-serve it. Or is it something that, um, you know, from the start, you're like, I know we need a 
reasonably detailed resource on you know these few competitors or these few points of uh, of of what it is um let me put those together now yeah uh that's that's a that's a good question for that because there's there's usually two goals i'm aiming towards i'm either trying to deliver a recommendation or i'm i'm delivering an exercise that results in in a decision uh and with either of those depending on the depth yeah that's when i define if i need a data pack or not if it's an exercise I absolutely am going to build a data pack because part of building out those exercises, I mean, if we're talking about a war game or um, just some scenario planning or something like that, I, I don't, you're, you're kind of the role of the teacher in the classroom. So you need to really know the information so well and building a data pack guarantees, you know, that information and that everyone in the room is going to be operating with the same set of information. Uh, so that justifies the time that goes into developing these and building these out, because uh, you really are not going to have a successful exercise unless you're saying, hey, we, we're doing this next week. Here's your data pack. You don't have to know it cover to cover. Be familiar with it. Sure. Bring it to class. You know, bring it to the, bring to the thing. If, if it's in person, when you show up, there will be printed copies. So you will have a digital copy, but there will be a printed copy on the desk, um, the conference room, whatever, waiting for you because you should have to reference that to answer questions that go through the exercise. You know, oh, you know, do, let's look at the pricing models. Great, yeah, page 12. Here are the pricing models that we're aware of for us and for our competitors, how they differ. Now let's have an educated conversation on how we can price more competitively or have a different pricing strategy to find success in this market. Um, so for the exercises, 100% of the time, if it's, if it's really driven about a recommendation, yeah, it, it, only if it's something really massive, like a like a substantial market assessment or market expansion opportunity or a particularly large prop enhancement that came through to us, will I actually build one of those? Normally, I'll, I'll focus more on like a traditional, you know, I'll do some kind of executive summary or an executive summary PowerPoint presentation, something that that is shorter, easier to put together, and just more direct to the point. Because I don't need to lead them to water quite so much. I just need to show here's here's the recommendation and here's why here's what led me to that recommendation. Got you. Awesome. Well, Chris, um, we're almost at the hour mark. So um, I'd like to say thanks so much for your time and for coming on the show. You know, I always always find myself saying this, but it's honestly so enlightening for me to have these conversations, um, to have these chats with people who are doing CI day in and day out, really. So so thank you. And um, you know, if it's a fraction uh, as enlightening for our listeners as it is for me, then uh, I think that's a that's a job well done. So thanks so much again. Yeah, it was great to be here, and and it's, uh, all the big thing I've learned is I I need to get caught up in the series because I think it's got to be fascinating to hear what people in other industries are doing. Thank you all for listening to another episode of the Compete Clarity Podcast. Before you go, I've got a question for you. In today's job market, differentiation is really important. Interview processes today have four, five, or even more stages, and proving your worth is getting harder all the time. How valuable would it be to you to be able to bypass all of that in the eyes of the recruiter because they're already familiar with your work? Well, listen, we want to help you by offering you the means to do just that. We'll work with you to quickly adapt your work into SEO-optimized articles, ghostwritten guides, and podcast episodes just like this one. It's never been easier to differentiate yourself, so why not start today? Sound interesting? Just send an email with sign me up in the subject line to contribute at competitiveintelligencealliance.io. That's 
contribute at competitiveintelligencealliance.io.